morning, everyone. Hey, right now I'm going to have the ushers come and they're going to distribute around here. They're going to hand out to you a handout and some pens if you need one. But I want you to have this in your hand today. Um, throughout this message, I'll be referring to it. But it's a little tool that I want to um, get to you. Uh, because we are looking at what it takes to be a winning church. And really today, uh, we're going to look at what does it take to be a missional church? What does it take to be a church on mission and on assignment for the Lord? Any team is going to win needs to know what the goal is. They need to know what game they're playing. And we talked about this last week. So we we point out there's three things that make a winning church. One is a winning church is a missional church. Two, a winning church is relevant. And three, a winning church is spirit-sensitive church. So I want to look specifically practical ways. How do we do these things in a very practical way? How can we be a missional church in a practical way? So this is kind of what we're handing out to you right now are some just a tool that you're going to use to be missional as an individual, as a person. What does that take? Well, Jesus gave us the goal of a church. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that is the Great Commission here. The Great Commission is our responsibility. The Great Commission is the commandment of Jesus to go and to take the good news of the gospel to everyone. On the back of your bulletin, you will find our vision as a church. And it is new life exists to bring the message of hope found in Christ to our community and to the world. Why is that our mission? Because right here it is. It's the Great Commission. It's Jesus' mission that we would take the message of hope that's found in the gospel. We believe the only hope out there is in Jesus Christ. That apart from Christ, you have no hope. If you slipped in here today and you're with us today for the first time, and Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, we just want to urge you to call upon Jesus today. Before you leave this place, call upon Jesus Believe on Christ, because that is your hope. Hope is only found in the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is all about transformation, isn't it? We are taking the good news of Jesus to people. You find hope, but only in Jesus it transforms your life. Once you come into contact with the Lord Jesus, you'll never be the same again. And those of us who have called upon Jesus, we can tell you that our life drastically changed after we knew the Lord. There's a big difference between B.C., before Christ, right? And A.C., after Christ. Big difference between those two things. And we know this, and we we want you to know that too. And so we want to see transformation. We are transformed as we are coming into contact with Christ. But listen, our goal is not just to sit around here and be blessed, Not to just sit among ourselves and be blessed. Worship this morning, awesome, right? Awesome worship team, amazing. And um, if you miss the drums, let me just say, you pray for more drummers in the church. If you are interested in learning how to play drums or if you know how to play drums, let us know because we can use more drummers, all right? Drums will be back, by the way. And so just want you to know that, okay? 
But it's awesome that we get touched by the Lord, but it's for us to share that with other people. We don't want to just hold it to ourselves and enjoy it in the four walls of the church. But, but our goal and our mission is to go out and take that to other people, to share with others, hey, here's, here's how my life has been touched. We want you to know that as well. So transformation is to overflow into the streets. It's to overflow into our neighborhoods, into the workplace. And we, we should be affecting every aspect of this community, from the entertainment to, uh, to the government. We should be impacting everything in our communities. Because the kingdom of God is meant to inhabit the earth. The kingdom of God is not about going to heaven. It's about bringing heaven here to this place, right? Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. And so we are to bring the principles of the kingdom to bear to this earth. We are to bring it to earth. And that's what the Great Commission is. That's what our commandment is. It is to affect people. So the question is, how can I personally be used to transform this community? I want you to say that with me. Go ahead and repeat this. How can I personally be used to transform this community? And that's the question we want to talk about. How can you personally do this? Whether you're an outgoing person or an inward person, there's all kinds of different ones of us. Some of you, no problem talking to strangers. Some of you, there are no strangers. You don't know what the, you don't, you never learn stranger danger. I don't know, as a child, right? And we never learn that. So we don't know there's actual things called strangers. Because I just think I know everybody. Like, everybody should want to talk to me. Why wouldn't you, right? What's there not to like? So why not? So, but others of you are not so like that. Others of you will get hives. And you literally, you'll break out. It, my wife will just break out if she has to talk to strangers. It's not easy for her to do. And that's okay. God made you the way you are. And you don't have to be like me. And I don't have to be like you. Everyone go, Whew. aren't you glad? You get to be you. And let me tell you something. Do you know that God likes you that way? God likes you. It wasn't an accident. He made you. You're not a mistake. You're not who you are. You don't have the personality you have. And God's going, oh my goodness, if just they would change their personality. No, God created your personality and he's really happy about it. He created you and he went, wow, that's good. You know, the Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Y'all need to get in front of the mirror and go, wonderful. <laughs> that's what you need to do, seriously, because that's what God said. God made you, he went, yeah, I like that. So you get in front of me, you go, wonderful. I like this. Because, yeah, that's how we need to be. So how can I do this? How can I, being me, being who I am, how do I, how do, I do this? This was not given at a pastor's convention. This was not given in a missionary convention. This is given to the church, to each and every one of us. So first thing I need to do is I need to open my eyes. <clears throat> I need to open my eyes. Simply pay attention <laughs> Open my eyes to what's around me. John chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus says, do not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus says, look up, pay attention. And he says, the fields are white for harvest. The fields are ready 
The world is ready. It was ready 2,000 years ago when Jesus says this. Listen, it's way more ready even now than it was back then. The world is ready. Your neighbors, your friends, your family are ready. And we, we talked about this, but do you, you know that statistics from Barna Research says 82%, 82% of unchurched people would attend church if you invited them. 82% of your workplace, 82% of your school, 82% of your neighbors, 82% of your friends, family, and loved ones would come to church with you this morning if you would have invited them. 82% of them would have. But yet 7 out of 10 unchurched people have never been invited to church their whole entire lives. Is that crazy? 7 out of 10 have never even been invited. And you know why? That's because 98% of us never extend an invitation in a given year. We don't bother. We don't bother. 82% would come and would hear the gospel and would probably respond, but we don't bother. Because churches and people are out there giving the message, and they make it sound like, you know, nobody cares. Nobody wants to come to Christ. Um, Nobody, people are not open. My my neighbors, my friends, they're not interested. They don't, they're not interested. They're all Catholics or Lutherans, and they don't care, and they don't want to come, and they're not interested, and they're not open, and they're all closed, and, and we live in this horrible world and society, and nobody cares, but that's not what statistics are saying to us. Facts don't bear that out. You know what I call something that doesn't line up with facts? I call it a lie from the enemy. The enemy has done this and has lied to us all and made us believe that nobody cares and nobody's interested and nobody wants to come and nobody nobody is is going to be changed by what I have to say. And that's a lie. I've heard people say, well, but everybody already goes. My neighbors, they already go to church. That's great, but are they saved? Have they been transformed by the gospel? Are they discipled? Because my com- the commandment does not say go and make church attenders. It's go and make disciples. So are, your fr- are these people who are going to church, are they disciples? Are they really followers of Jesus? Do they really know Christ intimately and personally? Or do they have a religion? I'm not saying go out and steal people from other churches. I'm not interested in doing that. I'm not interested in getting people to come from other churches who are already plugged in and who are loving the Lord. And, and that's awesome. That Leave them alone. But I, I'm not saying that. Our mission is not to get people to come to church. It, it's to make them transformed. It's to see that their lives have been impacted, that they have been transformed by the gospel. They can stay in their church. But just make sure that they go back saved and transformed. I'm not so interested that a Catholic person leaves the Catholic church and comes here. Stay in the Catholic church and be the light. Stay in the Catholic church. Make sure they've truly been born again. Make sure they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Make sure they know the power. They're living the abundant life. They're full of joy. They're full of the Holy Spirit. Send them on back to the Catholic church if that's where they feel called to go. I don't care what church you go to. Just be transformed. Just be changed. Just have your life impacted by Jesus Christ. 
Catholic Church is full of a bunch of born-again people who love Jesus, who are so on fire for God, it embarrasses you. If, if, if we compared, you know, because evangelicals, you know, sometimes we get pride and we say, oh, well, if you're not evangelical, then you're nothing. But listen, I have Catholic friends who are in the Catholic Church that are so on fire for Jesus. They're so on fire for the Lord. They're full of the power. of Their lives have been transformed by the gospel. Praise God. That's our goal. Remember, you better know what the goal is. If you think your goal is to make a basket, but you're playing football, you're in the wrong team, right? You're doing the wrong thing. So our goal is to see lives transformed by the gospel, by the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, open your eyes. So I'm responsible for the harvest. And one day you and I are going to stand before God and we're going to answer for what we did with the harvest. We're responsible. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm responsible for the harvest. Ezekiel chapter 318. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way, in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I'll require at your hand. You're responsible. God holds us responsible for what we do with what we have and what we know and for the gospel. Now listen, I don't want any one of you to go home and lose sleep tonight about (laughs) all the people you haven't brought to the Lord. You're not saved because of how many people you bring to Christ. You're not saved based on how many times you've shared the gospel this week, okay? So just bury that thought right now. You're, you're not saved by that. You, you are, you're saved by, by Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. And if you never share your faith, you're going to be saved by the blood of Jesus. But what I want you to see, what I need you to see, is that, that you and I are responsible for souls. We're responsible for people. And we are somehow going to answer for some who are going to perish without Jesus Christ. And we need to have the same heart and the same desire that the Apostle Paul had. Listen to him in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. If I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. There's, there, there's some churches in India, when they baptize people, they make them put their hands on themselves and they say, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And they, and they dunk them in the water. We, need, we just need to feel that. I, I'm praying, God, help me to feel that. Help me to carry that burden. Listen to me. I cannot stand up here and ought you to preach the gospel. I cannot stand up here and ought you to, to witness to your neighbors and family. You can't ought me to do it. It needs to become our burden. It needs to become our passion. It needs to become this like, God, I want to see these people saved. I want to see my neighbors transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And I believe that if you and I will cry out to God for that, if you and I will consistently say, God, make it our cry, make it the cry of our heart, I believe God will answer that cry of our heart, don't you? And he's going to begin to give us a burden and a desire of the Apostle Paul that we say, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I'm responsible for the harvest, and I need to open my eyes to see what's around me. And I'll explain more about this in a moment. 
Secondly, I need to not only open my eyes, but I need to know, know my responsibility. The Great Commission, the Great Commandment, you guys, this is a big, that's a big job. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's a big assignment. And I cannot possibly do that. You cannot possibly do that. You cannot possibly go into all the world. You can't go to everyone. You can't. Because I can't possibly do this, and no one can, because that's because this commandment is given to the church. It's commandment given to the entire body of Christ, not just to me. Um, I'm responsible for my part of the Great Commission. I'm not responsible for all of it. So touch your neighbor and say, just do your part. Just do your part. So what's my part? What's my part? The Great Commission is given four times in Scripture, and the last time is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, the church at this time was very small. Just, um, you know, there was only, what, the 120 in the upper room. There was a, a few others who joined them. 3,000 got saved. So the, the church was, was very small. And they were really limited to just Jerusalem. All the church, all Christians at that time, believers in Christ, were in Jerusalem. And then they would spread out from Jerusalem... And they would spread out to Judea. They'd spread out to, to a, the larger area of Judea, the region. Then they'd go to Samaria and to the ends of the earth as it is today. So here, here's how I would personally apply this scripture. So first of all, I am to go to Jerusalem. What is Jerusalem? Jerusalem is my little part of the world. This is my sphere, my immediate sphere of influence. This is my family. This is my friends. This is my coworkers. Now, we gave you that little sheet of paper here, and it looks something like that, right? And on the front of it, you see these lines going down. And it says, these are, these are my friends. Those blank lines there going across, I want you to begin to fill that in from now on. Just begin right now filling that in. Who are your friends? Who are your coworkers? Who are your neighbors? This is a good challenge for you, because some of you don't even know the name of your neighbor. So it's a good challenge for you, right? For right now, you just put neighbor one, <laughs> neighbor two. If you can see them in your face, right? In, in, your, or in your mind, you can see them in your mind. This is your Jerusalem, your sphere of influence. This is your immediate surroundings. These are the people you are primarily responsible for. This is your Jerusalem. It's not my Jerusalem. I don't know these people. I have no relationship with the people that you have relationship with. I don't know your coworkers. I don't know your neighbor. Well, I know Randy's because we live in the same neighborhood. But I don't know everybody in, in all your neighborhoods, but you do. So this is, your, this is your Jerusalem. Who are those people? Who are those people that are in your life? That's your responsibility. That's your number one responsibility. That's my number one responsibility. 
Secondly, I'm responsible for my Judea. That would be the local region. That would be the area around here that's served by New Life Community Church. That's Pulaski. That's your community where you come Bonduel, if you came from Bonduel. It's, it's, it's Shano. It's Green Bay, if you live in Green Bay, your area. And wherever our church is, is reaching out to. Maybe that's where you come and you serve in kids' church. Maybe you serve in the youth ministry and you're reaching those people. Then I'm responsible for, for my Samaria. That's other culture groups in this region. Then I'm surrounded. I'm responsible for the world. Everyone, anyone, anyone that God puts in my path. If I'm at, if I'm at a grocery store and I see someone with a need, if I'm at a restaurant I'm, and, and God has put them in my path, I'm responsible to share my faith. I'm responsible to share the gospel with these people. I can do my part to touch, influence, and see transformation in all these areas. And I, and I believe that we as a local church are responsible for all. We're responsible for all these areas. But my primary, my primary responsibility is for my immediate circle. My immediate circle. So it's great. Listen, listen it's great that our church is touching lives. We're supporting missionaries who are in Mexico. We support missionaries in Ukraine. We support people in Africa. That's part of our job, right? All the world. The world is part of our job. But what do we do as a church for our Jerusalem? What are we doing for our Judea? Because that's our number one concern. And I need us to begin thinking that way as a church. If we're going to be a missional church, if we're going to be a winning church, we've got to really start taking seriously how, how do we reach our Jerusalem? How do we reach right here our Judea? Our responsibility, our sphere of influence here. How do we do this? Mark 5 tells us the story of a demon-possessed man. And he gets delivered of these demons. And he, he has this encounter with Jesus. And he goes to Jesus later. And here, here's this encounter, Mark chapter 5, after he's been delivered of these demons. Mark chapter 5, and it's in verses 18 through 20. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He did not, but Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has, mercy, has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim to the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. What does Jesus tell him to go to? Go home. To who? Your friends. Your family. Your sphere of influence, right? And what do you tell them? You tell them, you're going to go to hell if you don't get saved. Is that what you tell them? Is that what he said? Go tell them that they're all going to hell. No, what did he say? Tell them how much God has done for you. Tell them how much Jesus has done for you. You know what the word witness means? It means you, you just tell what you saw. You're not the prosecutor. You're not the attorney. You're not the judge. You're simply the witness. And you do exactly this. You go to your friends. You go to your family. You go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. 
What does that mean? It means I go and I say, God, I got to tell you, I was so lost. I was so messed up. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Let me tell you the hope found in Christ. It's not about you. It's not going to say, you know, you ought to stop sleeping around. You know, you ought to do this. You ought to do that. You no, that's not how we tell people. You tell them how much God has done for me. It's all about what he's done for me in my life. I'm simply telling you the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. God holds me most responsible for people I already have relationship with. What does that look like? My circle of influence. My little place, my little corner of the world. This is my circle of influence. I'm first responsible for myself, right? I'm responsible for me, that I'm living for Jesus, that I'm, my life is shining for the Lord. But I, then it's my immediate family. Then it goes out to my relatives, my close friends, my neighbors, my business associates, my acquaintances. All of these people are spheres of influence. Who are those people in your life? Who are these people? Look up there at that little chart with me, please. Who are those people? There's names. You know, we say these things like, oh, yeah, we want to win the lost. Right? We want to win unsaved people, unchurched world. Who in the world are those? are people. Those are lives. Those are individuals that God loves and nurtures and God cares for. God sees every hair on their head. Do you know their name? Do we know who they are? Who are facing a Christless eternity? Do we even know them? I want to challenge you to figure this out. I want to challenge you to ask yourself, who are these people? Look up and see who these people are. They have a name. They have a name. Jesus died for them. And I'm going to give an account one day for them. So that's why use that sheet. Fill in, fill in names. Fill in these people. Who are these people? Who are those people? And then commit yourself to praying for them. So I'm going to pray for them by name now. Not just this general lost people that I don't care about, but people that I know, people that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to care about. God's going to give me a passion for them. God's going to give me a hunger for them and a desire for them. Okay, so, so I need to open my eyes. I need to know my responsibility. And thirdly, I need to know my method. I need to know my method. Preaching the gospel is actually a process. Doesn't mean you're going to prepare a sermon for your neighbors. Please don't do that. <laughs> Don't prepare a sermon for your neighbors and coworkers and family members. The reality is that the world is, is, is all at different. Everybody's at a different place. Everybody that you know is not at the same place in life. Everybody's at a different place. It's made up of individuals. And so I have to know my method. Jesus said it to his disciples in Matthew 4.19. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men fishers of men. You're not a hunter of men. You're a fisher of men. Because there's a di big difference between fishing and hunting. I want to point that out to you. What is the difference between fishing and hunting? Well, hunting is a lot more aggressive. Hunting is based on confrontation. Fishing is much more general, gentle, and it's based on attraction, right? With fishing, you're attracting them to you. Hunting, you go out and you get them. So it's go out there and shoot them in hunting, but with fishing, you get them to nibble on your bait. Uh, with, with, with hunting, you use a one-size-fits-all bullet. 
bam! That's how I hunt anyways. You know, shotgun is better because then you're going to get something, you know. <laughs> but with fishing, you, you have to try all kinds of lures. Depending on what kind of fish you're going after, you, you're going to use different bait. You're going to use a certain lure. You're going you're gonna to meet the fish where they are. Hunting, you're, you're going to take your best shot and it's over, especially for me. But with fish, you're going to reel in the fish. It requires a give and take. You reel them in, you let them out a little bit. You know, you just, you got to work with it. They're not ready to come into your boat yet. <laughs> you got to kind of work it a little bit. It's a little more strategy there. And uh, with hunting, you scare them off if you miss. You, you get a shot, boom, the, the, the deer's gone. Whatever you're shooting is gone. Cat, whatever. No, wait. I said that out loud. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. I did not mean to say that out loud. Whatever you're hunting, deer, moose, I don't know, bear. Those are the animals I think you shouldn't shoot, actually, but whatever. Anyways, fish, you get more than one chance, right? I mean, I'm out there fishing sometimes, and I get, they eat my bait off my line. I get a nibble, but it's not over. You might get that same fish who just nibbled on your line and spit it out again, right? But you might get it another time. Um, Hunting, the animal has no choice. No choice. You have to be a skilled shot. You don't, they don't even know you're going to shoot them. You, hunt up, you sneak up behind them and bam, you shoot them. But a fish gets a choice. Anyone can stick bait in the water. You actually, you know, you don't actually have to be very good at fishing to catch a fish. I know this because I've caught fish. I know this because my son Caleb has put grass on his fishing line and has caught fish with grass. You don't have to be that skilled to catch fish, right? So you're a fisherman, not a hunter, not a hunter. And what I love about that is that I don't have to be aggressive, I don't, have to, I don't have to shoot at them. I don't have to like rah, grab them and nab them. I don't have to do that. I can take my time. I can be patient. And I can be me. And you can be you. You can use your personality. You can use who you are. And let God, let God lead you. Let God direct you. Write who you are. You do not have to go with a track and say, do you know Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior? You don't have to do that method. Aren't you glad, some of you? Some of you are like, why not? Let's do it. Come on. What are you doing after church? Let's go. That's awesome because that's who you are. That's not who everybody else is, right? Okay, so on the other side of your, um, on the other, so the first side is the, the, the names of people, right? So um, the other side kind of shows, well, actually, the first side, if you look at just that first side there, um, friendship evangelism, you notice there's a negative six, Negative five, negative four, negative three, negative two, negative one, zero. People are at a different place. We're not all, not everybody you know is ready for you to preach the gospel to them, actually. If you look on your list, it starts way back at negative, negative six. People who are negative six, if you look on the back of your sheet now, Negative six people are people that are self-satisfied, they're skeptical, they're resistant, they're spiritually apathetic. These people are resistant. You know people like that? They're a negative six. 
This is not the time to invite them to church. And because you've invited a couple of negative six people to church, now you've decided that everybody must be a negative six. Not everybody is at a negative six. You've got to decide what you're after. If you're after a negative six person, use the right bait. Okay? So on the front side over here again, <clears throat> negative six person, what am I going to do? I'm going to pray for them regularly. I'm going to build a relational bridge with them. You're just building relationships. You got someone who's negative six, they're resistant, they're atheists. They say, I'm atheist, I don't care, get away from me, blah. No, I'm Catholic, I don't care. They're negative six. You pray for them. Don't invite them to church, pray for them. Don't give them a gospel tract, pray for them. Build a relationship with them, talk to them, get to know them. And hopefully, eventually, they're going to move to the negative five. And negative five, what does that look like? Negative five says they're becoming aware of an unmet need or spiritual void in their life. Bingo! Woo! This is where I get to shine. I find this need in their life. You know how that happens? Because I have a relationship with them, and now they're going to share with me, you know what? I'm really struggling with my kids. I'm really struggling in my marriage. My hip hurts. I got a back problem. Boom. Unmet need. Holy Spirit, come on. Here we go. Okay? This is why a winning church is a spirit-sensitive church, by the way. So what can I do with that person who is a negative five? It says do something fun together. Do a favor for them. And I'm just going to add in here and throw right on in here. Ask them to pray for them. Ask them, can I pray for you? They're going to go, you mean like right now? Yeah, right now. Let's pray about that. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for your marriage? Can I pray for your kids? Can I pray for your hip that's hurting right now? And you lay hands on them and you pray with them and you say, in Jesus' name, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to declare and believe that this is going to change in your life. I'm going to believe and declare that your, your, your marriage is going to get better. Your kids are going to get better. And I can share now from my heart, well, here's what... Here's how God has helped me in that area. Here's how God has helped me to be a better husband. It's all about relationships. Move them to a negative four. What is that? They begin, they begin looking for answers to questions or solutions to problems. Now they're seeking. When they begin asking you questions, how, 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 do you, how are you doing? Why are your kids so well behaved? Why are your kids the way they are? How come your kids aren't, aren't yelling at you? And fighting with you. How come, how come your wife isn't, uh, isn't messing around with everybody else? How come this isn't going on in your life? What's going on? Boom. Open door. And what I want you to see is not everybody is ready yet. Not until you get all the way down here. Till, till you get them all the way down to a, negative, uh, to, a, to a negative two. Then you're giving them an evangelistic booklet. They're way down to a negative two before even really sharing specifics about the gospel of Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Know your bait. Know what you're going after. Know who these people are. Put a name to them. You're going to need to know people. You need to have a relationship with people. You've you got to be involved with people in your life and in your influence. So the way this happens, instead of me going up to complete strangers that I don't know, that I have no relationship with them, and telling them what they should believe and what they should be doing, 
very rude, very inappropriate, actually, in our culture, right? It's like, you don't like Jehovah's Witnesses coming to your door, right, and telling you you should buy a watch, you should do this. You don't like the Mormons coming to your door. True? You don't have to do that. Isn't that awesome? You get to be normal. You get to be normal. You get to get to know people. You get to build a relationship with people. This is the way Jesus did it in the Bible. This is the way Jesus got to know people. Jesus sat with the woman at the well. She sat with her, and she got to, he got to know her. He got to hear her story. And then out came her need, and he could speak into that need, the truth. And you can meet people right where they are. It's so much easier and it's so much better, you guys, than taking the shotgun approach and trying to blow people away out of the water. So you're not going to fish the same way for everyone in the same method, in the same way. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders and make the best use of time. So you're going to walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom to those that are outsiders. Do I even have that scripture up there? Maybe I forgot to put it in there. Walk in wisdom Believe me, Colossians 4, 5. <laughs> Look at it in your Bible. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Walk in wisdom toward So you're saying, Jesus, how do I walk in wisdom? How do I, how do I, reach, how do I reach Frank? Because the way you're going to reach Frank is not going to look the, way, the same way you're going to reach Charlie. And that's not going to look the same way as you're going to reach Sarah. Okay? You're going to say, God, show me. How do I reach them? Where are they? And I hope this will help you. This gives you a tool. Kind of you can figure out where are these people on this scale and what are some ideas, some practical things that I can do. You know, we have things coming up on Sunday, men's trap shoot. Man, if you, if you have somebody who is a negative five, you ought to be inviting them to that men's trap shoot. I mean, what guy does not like having something explosive in their hand that's going to blow something up. I mean, that's just like, I'm there. Every guy is there. It, it involves explosives and destruction, and yes. And sometimes we even do things that involves death, and we kill animals. It's awesome. And every guy is like, yes, sign me up. I'm there right now, please, right? And so you ought to be inviting them to things. You know, by inviting your friends to come to these things, Right? We're going to be having a pie and ice cream social coming up in September. Get these guys inviting them to come to this thing. And they're fun things. They're things that, you know, it's not highly spiritual things. They're just a lot of fun. But it's relationship building. And it's giving an end to people's lives. It's giving an end to people's hearts and to where they are. So listen, it's going to take each and every one of us. That's why... Jesus gave this commission to not just the pastors and missionaries, but he gave it to, to all of us. If we're going to fulfill our mission as a church, that we're going, to, we're going to take the message of hope found in Christ to our community and to the world, we've got to start right here in our community with your circle of influence. And it's going to take all of us to do it. Right? It's going to take all of us to do it. I want you to stand this morning. Sandy's going to kind of come up here. I'm going to do this really weird thing today. Because, you know, I'm weird, whatever. I used to be weird, but now I'm not. Because Jesus saved me, right? Jesus does not make freaks out of people. He makes people out of freaks. I'm not a Jesus freak. I'm a Jesus people. All right. Had to say that. I don't know. Throw it in for good measures. 
All right, I want our prayer people to kind of come on up here this morning. All of our prayer team people, come on up. Thelans, come on up. All you guys, come on up. So, first of all, I'm going to divide up the room here a little bit. And y'all over here on this side, if this morning you need prayer for healing, you need prayer for deliverance, you just need prayer. You just need someone to pray with you. This is the side you want to come to, okay? If you just want to do the other thing I'm going to talk about, you're going to come over here to this side, okay? Um, so that way, if you just need a lot more prayer, we can kind of go quickly and no one's going to get gummed up here, okay? So here's what we're going to do. I want to pray over everyone here and commission you to go because Jesus says go. And I don't want any of you to feel like that wasn't for you. I don't want any of you to feel like I can't do this because you can. You can. Start with your circle of influence and you can do this. And we want to we want to just anoint you today with oil. I have oil. I'm going to go along and I give every one of you some oil in your hands and they're going to just anoint you with oil and pray for you to be empowered to have the heart of Christ, to have the passion of Jesus, to go. And here's the deal. Once you add the Holy Spirit to this thing, a negative six person will go to zero like now. You touch someone's life by the power of the Holy Spirit. If someone sees a miracle in their life, they go from six to zero. They're, they're ready. Boom. They're ready for Jesus. I've had people who came and say, I'm, I'm a devil worshiper. And I said, praise God, you're a worshiper. Okay, let's get going here. I'll start there. At least you're a worshiper. I don't have to deal with that, right? We're good. You're a worshiper. But why are you worshiping the losing team? Why are you on the losing? Let's get on the winning team. And the Lord shows up and boom, power, Jesus, Jesus, power, power, boom. And they go from negative six to boom. They're ready. They're ready for Christ. So we just want to really anoint you today because you have it in you. The living God lives inside of you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Most High is inside of every single one of you who are believers this morning. If you're not a believer in Jesus, come on up and, and let these guys lead you to the Lord, okay? Let them pray with you and you, you can receive Christ and you can leave here transformed today by the power and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So come on up, guys. Get anointed. We want to anoint every single one of you and give you all a bunch of oil in your hand. You guys are going to really be showering them today. Look out. Look out. No one's going to need lotion for another, I don't know. Good. guys run out and go to the Thelans. They have extra. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You guys, oil is not, this is not magic. This is not anything but a bunch of oil. 
But in the Bible, oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. And we're commanded in Scripture to anoint with oil. And it represents being an, it, it represents the Holy Spirit. That's all this is. So as we touch you with this oil, let your faith arise that the Holy Spirit has, is on you. The Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit has touched you this morning. He's commissioned you to go forth, to go forth and touch other people, to, to see lives transformed. So just begin, come on up here, and we're going to pray with you. You guys can leave whenever you're ready, when you're all done. You've been prayed for, anointed with oil. You're free to go.